Luke 1 says this, And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that, I have, that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather together at the beginning of a week. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, we thank you for the fact that all around the world, millions of people are gathering to celebrate Jesus' resurrection today. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just speak to us, remove any distractions, help us to have confidence in your word, and be encouraged by it this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Friday morning, after I got the boys off to school, we had one home sick on Friday. I got back, I sat down um, to check my email and look at some various uh, social media sites, and I was drawn in to an unbelievably complexing question that was just dividing families and creating uh, just hours of debate. Experts were weighing in and just uh, people's mental faculties were being challenged over the truth of what is right and how do you know and what's the question. And and maybe you were also drawn into this dilemma this week, which, what is the color of the dress? Anybody see that? Took over the internet on Friday. Is the dress Gold and white, which it is. Uh, that's what I saw. Or is it black and blue? Made it to the news. Here's what that says to me this week. As I was getting ready to look what we were talking about. There are, there are two things that I think came from that. We, we live in a culture that has lots of time to waste. That's one thing. The second thing I learned from this is that we are, as humans and as a society, we have many questions. We like to debate questions. And we think about Questions and questions confuse us and compel us. And those questions lead to emotions. And those emotions lead to actions. And questions are everywhere. And when you have questions, there is doubt. And doubt is part of the makeup of being a human and being in our society, in our time of. Today, and beginning today, from now until I think the second week after Easter, we're starting a series called, that we're calling Questions to the Cross. In many ways, we're going to look at some basics of what we'd say Christianity, and what does the Bible say about these things, and just questions that we have, and how we deal with those questions. And we all have them. And some of you have them this morning about the faith. And where do you find the answers to this faith? And we all have doubts. And that's what Luke was addressing in his gospel. I've had doubts about the faith. I think I've shared with you when I was a senior in high school, in the middle of a basketball game, a question popped into my mind right at tip-off of the second half in a game we were winning. 
And the question that randomly came into my mind was, God's not real. That stuck. And it sent me on a spiral for almost three years. On the outside, nobody would have known. I was at church every Sunday. I even left to go to Bible college. Nobody would have known, but deep down for three years, that little question, God's not real, stirred me to the core. And some of you have those questions, and you've carried them for a long time. So as we go through this next series, the, que- the series isn't questioning the cross. The series is questions to the cross. And this morning, I just want to look at where do we get the answers for the, some of the things? Where's, what's our source that we can go to? And how do we know that source is helpful? What do we do with our doubts? Tim Keller, a pastor in Manhattan, said this, A faith without some doubt is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or, too, or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. That's a key verse. That verse says that faith is a gift that God's given to us. So if you're struggling with doubt, you say, I don't really know. But you've been showing up for church for years. But there's just some things about the faith that you just question sometimes. And you, you wonder about, but you've never investigated them. Know this, it's okay to doubt. It's good to doubt. It's good to question. You should do that. A faith won't be solid if you don't question your faith. And if you don't take those doubts that are normal and deal with them. Because if you have faith this morning... That's a gift from God, Romans 12, 3 says. And God gives that gift according to the measure that God has assigned. So it's very humbling when we talk about faith, when we talk about doubt, because the faith that we even have is a gift of God to us. But it's also very hopeful, because God wants us to have faith. And the Bible is not afraid of doubt at all. If you look through the Bible, all through the Bible, there are people who struggled with doubt. Most of us know, and even if you don't go to church, many people know the phrase, Doubting Thomas. There was a guy who doubted. He was walked with Jesus. Abraham doubted the promise of God. Moses doubted the promises of God. Peter denied and doubted Jesus. We're in good company, or you're in good company, if you doubt sometimes and question your faith. The Bible's not against that. The Bible's filled with people who came to questions of faith and questions of what's true, what's not, and they doubted them. The Bible tells us about those people. But what stirs our doubts? 
There's all kinds of situations that will stir our doubts and questions. Intense trials will start to stir our doubts. We, we start to question what's true and what's not when we're going through intense difficulties, intense personal situations. Unanswered prayers will stir your doubts. People have prayed and they say, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and God didn't answer my prayer. And so it just leads them to doubt. Is God there? Is God here? Is prayer real? Stressful pressure through work or family situations can cause you to doubt. The Bible says our eyes affect our heart. So when we see evil in the world or we hear about something that just seems unjust, that's going to affect our hearts. That's going to affect our minds. It's going to affect us and to bring questions and we, in this day and age, we see so many pictures, we see so many information, so much information is coming to us, it's overwhelming, and it can quickly stir up doubts about what's true. Is God real? Is the Bible right? Because our minds can't even process through as fast enough all the information that we're dealing with. J.P. Moreland and Klaus Eisler, in a book called In Search of a Confident Faith, so they, they broke down doubt and three different categories, which I think are helpful for us. The first one they said is there's unbelief. And unbelief is just someone who is willfully sets themselves against a biblical teaching. And there are people like that. Maybe you're one of them right now. That you just, you just have unbelief. That you have willfully set yourself against a biblical teaching, such as Jesus is not God. The Bible says Jesus is God. And you said, no, Jesus is not God. And so you just have unbelief. That's willful. It's a choice that you're making. That's one type. And then there's, they, they said there's doubt. That's someone who has intellectual or emotional or a psychological barrier to a more secure confidence in a biblical teaching or in God himself. They're just struggling. They're, they're seeing something here, and it doesn't match up psychologically or emotionally. They can't wrap their minds around it, and it causes them this, just this doubt. Maybe that's some of the you. And then there's, they, they said the third one was lack of belief, which is someone who doesn't believe a biblical teaching or an idea but wants to. You know, I, I need some help to believe. I, I want to believe it, but I need some help. And my guess would be the majority of us if we're honest at times, would fit in those two categories. Maybe not outright unbelief, but doubt. Something's come up in your life, and you're not sure how to deal with it, so you have questions. Or there's just this lack of belief. You want to believe. And you're just like the guy in the Bible who says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. God never reprimands that. So it's okay, and it is good to doubt and question and look for answers. That's good. Don't have a faith that can't be questioned, or don't have a faith that has not been examined. Because when all those things stir up, and you're afraid that you can't speak them out loud, or say them out loud to other Christians or in church, Satan is ready to pounce on that. And he will devour you. So I'm saying it here. At this church, 
If you have doubts and if you have questions, don't hide them. I'm not going to judge you for questioning. The Bible's filled with people who doubted the Bible. Come with the questions. Ask the questions. Search out the questions. Look for the answers. See what is true. Because we want clarity in our lives, don't we? We want to know the truth. But we, we, we want and need honest truth. Not platitudes. We don't want to go through life and just hear these little platitudes. Well, this is true. Just go with that. These pithy little sayings. That's not what we want. That's not what we need. And no one really wants that. But for some reason, people will put up that for years because they're afraid to say, hey, I've got some questions about this. I've got some doubts. I want to know what's the answer, but I'm, not, I'm afraid that I can't. So I'll just put my Facebook pithy quote out there and I'll live with that. But they don't live with that. It will destroy lives, even as the late, great Mr. Spock said. Insufficient facts always invites danger. We need to question our faith. In 2007 interview with a Newsweek magazine atheist, well-known atheist Sam Harris said this, I don't want to pretend to be certain about anything I'm not certain about. And Luke would completely agree with him. And that's why he wrote his gospel. And that's why he wrote the second part of his book, the book of Acts. Luke wrote his gospel for those people who have doubts. Luke wrote for those who have heard and believe and want to know for sure. Luke wrote for those who did not believe, but who wanted to know God's plan through Jesus. Luke wrote his gospel, and he wrote the book of Acts for everyone. Luke is for everyone, and he says that right at the beginning. So this morning, I just want to encourage us with a foundational truth of why you can trust the Bible as the supreme source of authority for your life and practice. Why can you trust the Bible as the supreme source of authority for your life and practice? When we look at three things, because of its credibility, because of its accuracy, and because of its certainty. Who wrote this book? Where did this book come from? What is the gospel of Luke? Luke was... The reason we're going to look at Luke for most of this series is because the book of Luke and the book of Acts, it's first of all, Luke is the longest gospel that we have. It's the longest gospel. There's more information about Jesus than any other gospel in Luke's Gospel. It's also the book of Acts is connected. It's, it's, a, it's a two parts. And if you take Luke and if you take Acts out of the Bible, the rest of the Bible doesn't really make much sense. Luke and Acts are like weight-bearing walls for the Bible. The, the book of Luke tells us so much about Jesus, and the book of Acts tells us so much about the church, that if you were to remove Acts, the rest of the epistles, we would, we would, we would be lost with all these connections. And so we're just going to take a slice of Scripture this morning to say, hey, we're just going to look at two load-bearing passages, and particularly the Gospel of Luke, and say, hey, this is what Luke says. And without these two books in the Bible, this would not be, make sense to us. We need Luke, and we need Acts in the Bible to help us see. So if Luke and Luke Acts are credible, and if they are accurate, and if it helps us with certainty, then it can help us see that the rest of Scripture can be trusted. And it is the source for us to go to when we have our questions about life and how to live and the authority that it is and who it 
talks about. What's the credibility of the book of Luke? That's what he's writing off. The book of Luke, we don't see this in the English language, but Luke said this. He'd been looking around. He'd seen that many other people had been writing things about what had taken place. And it says, it seemed good to me also to write these things. Luke was not a person who followed Jesus around. He wasn't one of his disciples. Luke was, as far as we know, he was who Paul mentioned as a friend of his. Who was, he was a physician. He followed him around. He was a second generation Christian. He didn't see Jesus on earth. He's just like us. He didn't walk around when Jesus walked around. He was about 30, 40 years later. After Jesus was on earth, the church has existed towards the end of Acts. He talks about we. So he was probably a companion of the Apostle Paul. And for the since early time in church history, Luke, the companion of Paul, has been ascribed to the author of this book. Luke was a physician, the Bible says. And he uses words in his gospel that a physician would use. He was extremely intelligent. He was extremely articulate. And as, even as he wrote Luke, Luke 1, 1 through 4, it's easy to skip over. It's one long sentence. It's called the prologue. It's the introduction into his narrative, to his history of what was taking place, what had been fulfilled around him. And when he wrote this, he wrote this in such a way, it's such a well designed sentence, that this is how they would introduce facts and narratives back in this day. Because he says, listen, uh, this was written around the time other people were writing things about Jesus. And he says, he wrote his sentence in such a way that people would say, hey, this guy is telling us what he's writing is true. He put this sentence there, crafted it specifically so that people will know everything after this is based off of historical, accurate fact. That's why he wrote the sentence this way. The first sentence is a sentence of skill and of beauty, carefully crafted in the best formal literary style of his day. And it signals to the people that read it back then and to us, even though we can't see that in English, that the author was aware of the customs and the culture of his day. Luke was not writing this off by himself someplace. He wrote it right in the mainstream of culture. If he was writing today, this would be a blog that he would put out there and promote, and people would see. It would be a book that he would write and say, this is, this is narrative history. This is actually what took place. It's got great credibility. And the credibility of it also goes, in some ways, to the credibility of the Bible today. Did you, did you just know this about the Bible? Some observations, even in our society today. Knowing the Bible leads you to be known as literate, There are more than 13 documented quotations and allusions to the Bible in the writings of Shakespeare. If you don't know the Bible, you you wouldn't even understand Shakespeare as well as you could. In 2005, a survey was done, and 98% of high school English teachers stated that students who are biblically literate have an edge academically. And in 2006, English professors in top universities said in this survey, regardless of a person's faith, an educated person needs to know the Bible. 
Without the Bible in our culture, without the Bible shaping and influencing our society, the abolitionist movement would never have been. Prison reform movement would never have been. Anti-war movement, the labor movement, the civil rights movement. And even outside the world, many things that we know, all of those things that we see in our culture, they stem because a book was written called the Bible that has credibility and it moved people to do unbelievably amazing things for the betterment of society, for the betterment of culture. And places where God and the Bible have tried to be eliminated or silenced are sad places to be, or they're dangerous places to live. In the late 80s and 90s, Albania become the first atheist, officially atheist country in the world. And if you know anything about Albania in the 80s and 90s and after all the revolutions, it was one of the darkest, saddest, most miserable places to be. But their theory was, we'll kick God and the Bible out. Even today, who wants to live in North Korea? We don't. And the Bible is consciously kept out of those places. So just on the sheer outside of our culture today, the credibility of the Bible says, hey, with the Bible, actually some good things can happen. Outside the Bible, some really bad things, some sad things can take place. And Luke says, listen, he didn't write outside of a, in a vacuum. He knew what he was saying. He, he wrote in a way that was truthful and helpful. And his statement, the way he designed his first sentence of Luke, was to say, listen, I want people to know that this is history. This is true. This is the way things took place. It's articulate. It's well thought through. He's writing an intelligent treatise so that intelligent society and culture and people who want to know will know what took place. What this should do for us, just that first sentence of the book of Luke and the way he designed it, it should call us to study Scripture. And not just take our doubts and put them on a shelf and not deal with them. Luke says, no, bring it on. If you want to know the truth, study it. It's available to know. It also should call away from us from being, being, being shoddy in our answers with people. We don't have to give cheap, silly, nonsense answers to people and say, hey, just believe this because I say so. That's not what the Bible does at all. The Bible says, hey, if you want to really believe, I'll give you intelligent, clear, decisive arguments so it's absolutely credible. You don't have to pass off shoddy information. So study and be careful how you share it. Don't give out cheap platitudes. We can know. That's the way the Bible was written. That's the way the Holy Spirit moved Luke to write it. He wrote it so that it would be a credible piece of information history that we would have. It's credible. It's also very accurate. That's what he's, he's saying. He's saying, listen, as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, back in this culture, being novel was not the thing you would want to do. What he did was he's saying, listen, all these other people are writing about Jesus and what was taking place and what God's been doing in the Jewish history. And so he goes, I felt it was good that I should join with them. 
because I have some skills I can bring to this. I was with some of these people, and I can do this. And so he says, many people are writing about this, so I'm writing it as well. This is good than many other people. He's not saying the things that other people were writing were bad. He's just saying, hey, this is well-known information, and I want to help write it down as well. And back in this culture, people would tell stories. They didn't write things down for history. 500 years before this, Plato said that he doesn't trust writing things down. Speaking is much better. People's memories, they believed, were better than written books. And so when they were in this culture in Palestine, they would have people who were storytellers. An event would take place. An official person would, everyone would share the story, they would collect the information, and there would be a person who would tell the story. And they would give the narrative history. They would tell the story of what was taking place. They trusted that more than they trusted the written word. Even a hundred years after Luke wrote his gospel, society still would say, tell me the story, don't let me read it. Because if I read it, I can be deceived, but if you're telling it to me and I'm looking you eye to eye, that's more believable. So why did Luke write it down? He wrote it down because a few years after this, people were dying off. Rome was taking over. Things were getting destroyed. The storytellers weren't there. They needed it collected, and God moved him to write it down. And Luke says, I did it this way. I took all the information the people wrote. There were many narratives of things that were being accomplished, the eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Those were the storytellers of the day, the ministers of the who delivered them. And it seemed good to me also. And Luke said, what I became was an investigative reporter for what Jesus was doing, what God was doing in the world. I searched it out. The book of the Gospel of Mark was probably written before Luke. And so Luke would look at the Gospel of Mark and he would then listen to somebody tell a story and he'd investigate it and he'd go see them and he'd talk to them face to face, he says. And he would be with Paul and he would listen and he would search them out. He was extremely diligent in his research is what he's saying. He's telling this to us now, but it was written to people back then who knew if he was right or if he was wrong. They would say, no, this isn't right. I heard that guy tell that story. And they would know, and it would never exist today. But that's not what took place. He wrote an accurate history. He was unbelievably diligent, he says, in his investigation. He took writings, traceable sources. He interviewed witnesses. And through the years, as the gospel has been attacked for its accuracy, even in the late 50s, someone wrote this. When true historians look at all the history that we have, they say whenever modern scholarship has been able to check up on the accuracy of Luke's work, the judgment has been unanimous. He is one of the finest and ablest historians in the ancient world. He wrote for us an organized history. And he did it in detailed ways, not telling us everything that took place, but to tell us the story of what God has done, not just when Jesus' time, but the way back into the Old Testament and to Moses, to connect the dots for people, for the fulfillment of what God's doing now. And then Acts shows afterwards all the things that Jesus did and how that was to be fulfilled and moves the church. And so the book of Luke could be broke down this way. Luke 1 and 3 is, is he comes. 4 through 21, roughly, is he seeks. 
and 22 through 24 is Jesus saves. That's Luke's message. He wants us to see it as accurate. It's credible. But also so that there is certainty in people's lives. The Bible reminds us often to come with certainty. Take our doubts and don't be satisfied with them. Make your calling and election sure. And he wanted people to be certain. He's writing to Theophilus, and he says, I'm writing these things that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught, the things that were accomplished among us. How do we get certainty when it comes to Scripture and to these faith? Luke knows it's not by our own ability. We're easily confused. This week showed us that what your eyes see is not always accurate. If you trust yourself for accuracy, it's not always going to be the correct way. It's not even our past experience when it comes to the faith. See, I'm really not sure where my faith is right now. We can't just cling to our, some past experience in what you said. But Luke wrote his gospel and the book of Acts so that people can have certainty about who Jesus is what God is doing through Jesus, and how that will affect our lives. Luke says it's by looking to Jesus. Because in Luke chapter 24, as he writes his passage, he talks about Jesus all the way through. Jesus is resurrected to these two guys on the way to Emmaus. They're kind of completely bummed out. They're just pressed. They don't know what to do with themselves. They're talking about what just took place in the city. And all of a sudden, this guy starts walking up next to them. And it's Jesus, but they don't know it. And Jesus comes up to them and says, what are you doing? Why are you guys so bummed out? What's so, what's so depressing about what's going on? And they're looking at him like, you're, like he's crazy. It says in Luke 24, don't you know what's gone on around here in the last few weeks? And Jesus says to them in Luke 24, 25, and he said to them, oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Luke says to us, and Jesus says to us, you need to check your doubts. Because just because you perceive something the way you think it is, isn't always the way it is. And Jesus says, let me show you the way it is. And he goes all the way back from Genesis, all the way through to say, listen, the scriptures are about me. The way of life is by me. The Bible's all about Jesus. Luke is all about Jesus. Acts is about Jesus. Genesis is about Jesus. It's pointing us to see Jesus by looking to Jesus. And he wrote it to Theophilus. And Theophilus was probably an individual who was wealthy, who had become a believer. But it says he started to have doubt because Luke says, Hey, Theophilus, I want you to have certainty in these things. I want you to know what you know and you know it to be solid. I want you to know that. And Theophilus' name means lover of God or beloved of God. And Luke was writing to Theophilus, but he was also writing to anyone, to everyone who loves God or is beloved of God or anyone who wants 
a relationship with God. You say, I, I have some doubts, but I really want to know. Then the source to know that is Scripture. Bring your doubts, bring your questions to the Bible. Search them out. Let me encourage you with this. The Bible says, all who come to me will find rest. Those who are weary will find rest. But when you're struggling with doubt, when you're struggling with questions, there isn't a lot of doubt. There isn't a lot of peace. There's there's a struggle. And you're not sure what to do with that. Let me encourage you, if you're a Christian, you're, you want a relationship with God, but you have doubts, it is okay to doubt. Ask the questions. But be a good doubter. Doubt your doubts as much as you doubt your faith. And then rest in this and find your rest this way. And I made an acrostic for us. The way you're going to find your answer to the source of your life's questions and the doubts that you have about God, about the Bible, about what's true, about pain, about suffering, about evil, about the cross, about the resurrection, is not by just wondering them. God says, I want you to take those doubts and I want you to read about it. I wrote the scriptures so you can know what's true. So read the Bible. Read it. It is amazing how many people who have questions about the Bible and you ask them, have you read it? No. I just heard this blog post. I saw this clip. Read it. And then envision the grand narrative. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is about Jesus. That's the big picture. So when you read it, read it with the picture for what it's written, which is this is about Jesus. And then how I relate to that. So read it and envision the grand narrative of it's all connected to be all about Jesus. And then set your emotions accordingly. We don't come to the Bible and say, "Hmm, this is how I feel. So if the Bible doesn't feel the way I feel, I'm going to go with how I feel. You will have doubts. You will struggle in your faith. The Bible was designed for us to read it, see that Jesus is the whole point. And then when we see what God says about himself, Through Jesus, we adjust our emotions to what the Bible says, even if we don't fully understand it. That takes humility. But that's how we're supposed to read it. We read it. We envision the grand narrative. We set our emotions accordingly. And let me encourage you this. Then just take the next right step. See where God has you to go. You're reading scripture. You're not really sure what you believe. You're still struggling, but you're reading it. You're saying this is about Jesus, which means this is going to be, God, Jesus is for me. And you set your emotions accordingly, even though I don't understand this and I don't feel those emotions right now. I'm going to believe what you say, God, and then I'm just going to take the right next step. And I will say to you that as you read that scriptures that way, and as you bring your questions to the Bible that way, you're going to find rest in God's word. And resting in God's word is not an activity. It's readiness. We all, most of us watched the Super Bowl a few months ago. And right at the end, we thought for sure Seattle was going to win this game. Run the ball. Just run it in. But instead, they decided to make a pass. And a rookie, Malcolm Butler, was back there. Wasn't he supposed to be in there? And all of a sudden, they snap the ball They're on the one-yard line. They throw a pass. It's a bullet. And Malcolm Butler runs up, 
intercepts it and wins the game for New England. And if you heard any of his interviews afterwards, he says, the reason that I was able to win the game, the reason I was able to make it was because I was resting in my preparation. I knew the play. I'd watched a lot of film. I'd studied. I was prepared. And he said, I was ready. When I saw the formation, I knew what they were going to do. And I wasn't just going to rest and do nothing. I was resting, but it was very active. And I was able to win the game for my team. If you're struggling with your doubts, don't walk away from the scriptures. Don't walk away with the, from questions. That's being inactive. But read it. Envision the grand narrative. Set your emotions accordingly. Take the next step. Trust in it. Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was killed as one of the Aka's Indians, Indians as a missionary, she had a chance to meet with Corey Tenboom, who was a young woman who was captured in world, during World War II for, with her family for saving Jews. She was put in some of the, Corey Tenboom was put in some of the worst prisons during the, the war. And Elizabeth asked Elliot, asked her, how did you survive that with your faith? How did you go through all that horrific situations and how did you survive with all the doubts and all the questions that that type of situation would have brought up? And Corey Tenboom said, I made it because I had soaked in God's word. She was prepared and she was ready and she soaked in God's word. Because the truth is, all the scripture says is that Jesus is for us. Jesus is with us. Jesus wants to have a relationship for us. Jesus came so he can have a relationship for us. Jesus, Luke says, Jesus is the answer to all the problems of our life. If you're struggling with doubts, look to Jesus. You need to be rescued from your sin, look to Jesus. You want to have hope, look to Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. And it's accurate, it's credible. And it's authoritative for our lives. So as we go through this next series, don't be afraid to doubt, but doubt wisely. Search them out. Come to God who has a real, wants to have a real relationship with you in Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is our ultimate hope. And as an old English prayer says, Almighty God, who called Luke the physician, whose praise is in the gospel, to be an evangelist and physician of the soul, may it please thee that by the wholesome medicines of the doctrine delivered by him, all the diseases of our soul may be healed through the merits of thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Luke's gospel tells us that the answer to all of our problems originated with us, but has been rescued through Jesus.